Making Your Bones by Dave Greggs, edited by Dan Sullivan, as read by the author. Chapter 1. Honor. It was three o'clock in the morning. John Dart was sitting at a long chestnut table in a bright cream-colored room. He could see snow falling past a lamppost through the tall, narrow wrought-iron windows. It had been fourteen years of training. John was eighteen. Finally, he was a detective. He would be the pride of his people and a provider for them. He was to go out into the world and sell his services to the foreigner, from fishwives with lost children to imperial potentates facing unnatural threats. He was to send a portion of his earnings back to the institution which had raised, trained, tyrannized, and then freed him, the mountaintop city-state of Starling and Shrike. John was waiting for a state official to come and give him his outbrief. This was going to include a contract arranged by the Starling and Shrike government. It would be his very first contract, a test of 14 years of training, a test of his character. He was still wearing a variant of the city-state's traditional garb, a loose white collared shirt, black slacks, and black shoes. A silverized forty-five caliber pistol was holstered just above his left thigh. An ornate samovar of coffee was at the center of the long table. John drank it black from a porcelain teacup, steaming across his face as he gazed into the snow and the stately beauty of his home city. The door opened. A lean, hard-weathered man walked in. He wore a brown blazer with khaki slacks. He had only one arm, and he carried a steel briefcase, which was upholstered in light brown leather. The man had a silvery beard and wore thin spectacles. He shut the door with his heel. John knew this man. He'd spoken at graduation. His name was George Current. He was a member of the Starling and Shrike Council Inspectors. They were a cadre of experienced field agents who no longer took private contracts. Instead, they devoted themselves to missions for the Council of Starling and Shrike. They were the state executors and the city's internal affairs squad. Recently, there had been a massacre of rogue agents in the free cities of Tourmaline Gorge. Council inspectors had been implicated in the deed, and the sitting consul of Starling and Shrike was one of them. The council cleared him of his role in the killings, and his election went forward nonetheless. John knew the other city-states thought that this was a fig leaf. George Current, for his part, had served as an advisor to the Kindlers, a tribal people who were under threat by the totalitarian collection of cities known as the Centrifires. It had been a doomed effort. There were no more Kindlers in the hills where they had once lived. But George Current and his team had escaped in a running battle that left a hundred miles and a hundred dead Centrifires behind them. The inspectors were dark folk, killers par excellence. They kept their own counsel. John knew that each of them had encountered the supernatural in his or her time, because that was one of their requirements for entry. Some of them could be identified by unlikely and numinous wounds. John stood and dried his fingertips. He gazed flickeringly and intently at the inspector, who laid his briefcase on the table and shook John's hand with a steely gaze. George Current, pleased to meet you. Have a seat and let's do this thing. The inspector popped open his briefcase and started thumbing through papers. After a few moments, he looked up coolly at John as if taking his measure. You're a real stud, according to friends of mine at the schoolhouse. But you need to watch your P's and Q's. Adaptable, creative, but you kind of suck at laying groundwork for ops. They say your paper trails are hot garbage and you flunked financial investigation your first time. Current lowered his chin so that his hard gaze came over the top of his square glasses. Watch out for that shit. 
Get somebody on your side who's good at it, and then lean on them. Don't take it all on yourself if fucking it up is going to blow your mission. <clears throat> Understood, Inspector. The good news is you're supposed to be a whiz in the shoot house, so if your cover story doesn't cut the mustard, I guess you'll have some leeway. Sooner or later you'll get your cherry pop, don't you worry. Inspector Current lifted a sheaf of papers out of his briefcase. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to go over some contracts, and you're going to pick one you think you can handle. We'll talk about it, get you comfortable. I'll tell you how I'd do it, and then you can ask questions. Once you sign on the dotted line, I'll go to the quartermaster, get your tickets and gear. Then we'll go to the airstrip and you're off. John nodded. Any questions about me and why I'm the one telling you this? Well, I was wondering. You were with the Kindler people when the Centrifire cities invaded their homeland, Inspector. In the mountains? Yep. Yeah, I was. Me and Joe Carter. And Tom Carpenter. We were with the Kindlers in the mountains. Lived with them, ate their food. Took their customs. Joe Carter married in. Yeah. When the sense came, we bled with the Kindlers. That bond you'll never have it with anybody else. Except your family. He sat back, looking into the past. Yeah, we did everything we could. Didn't matter to the Kindlers, we were from a mountain and just floated down out of the sky. Didn't matter to us, they were pagan hill folk without shoes. Their guns, that was it for technology. But we stacked up the center fires. These were warriors, they knew the hills. We... Current trailed off, his eyes on something far away. A single tear was working its way down his craggy features. He grit his teeth and sobbed quietly several times. I'm sorry, John began. The inspector wiped his eyes with his thumb and forefinger. Yeah, well, old farts like me can be sentimental sometimes. He held the bridge of his nose with his fingertips. We got some of the kindlers out before the end. <clears throat> Let's get down to brass tacks, shall we? John nodded. The inspector drew a folding ledger made of alligator skin from his briefcase, and he opened it in his hand. Okay, we've had a lot of choice contracts come through this week. I've curated a few for you here. We're going to go over them, and you'll tell me which one you want. Ask questions. These pay about the same, in case you're wondering. When I give some new cat a price spread, he usually feels like he's got to pick the most expensive one, because it must be the hardest. The girls are smarter about biting off what they can chew. Don't get used to thinking purely in terms of maximum payout. Nobody knows how to price your contracts better than you. An asset seizure was usually a part of the contract. So the bottom line is in everything. You'll get a feel for what your time's worth. He laid a few papers in front of John, who looked down at them like numinous portals to lands of riches and danger. First, we've got one from the Grand Duke of Periapt. His wives have been disappearing, and he's not super geeked about that. Contract number two's from Maxwell Landry. He was around when I was a kid. Shipping House. Wants us to investigate the anarcho-syndicalists in Thanathane. Guess he's worried they're going to turn his stevedores against him. Lastly, one from the Lord Mayor of Diadem. The Aviation Society's having a summit in Diadem in a week and a half. They're worried about security, so they want a starling to go around sniffing people's balls just in case. You'd get to go to the Grand Gala, which would be interesting for you. If you don't get drunk and try and fuck the Lord Mayor's daughter, that kind of thing happens. John knew that Periapt was an aristocratic city port that was going through industrial growing pains. This would be an obvious place for him to start because a lot of his training had been oriented to places just like Periapt. 
Thanafane was a tomb city, a madcap riot of ornate mausoleums doubling as mansions and catacombs doubling as slums. There were constant funeral processions from nearly all the world's faiths, even ones which were commonly outlawed. And often the city's faithful and their parsons came into conflict over tombs, unworked land, and pilgrims. John knew this would be an unforgettable experience, but it was just too far outside his comfort zone to be his first choice when his life and reputation would be at stake. Diadem was a city consisting of gigantic towers which were linked by sky bridges. This allowed for maximum cultivation of its rich farmland. It was a mercantilist republic, and its internal conflicts would be less dramatic than periapt, but John was thinking of the multicolored airplanes which would be flitting around the towers during the aviation summit. John loved airplanes. An aviation summit, Inspector. So there'd be a lot of planes, then? Yeah. Well, John picked up the contract and fixed his eyes on it. Then he put it down and folded his hands. Okay, Inspector. John, have you been to flight school? No, Inspector. Don't worry about airplanes. Focus on what you'll be doing. It's not going to be flying. I acknowledge. I just think planes are beautiful, sir. What are your questions? Uh, the Grand Duke. His wives have been disappearing serially or all at once? The latter. Polygamy's not the Norman Periap, but the Grand Duke insists on having multiple wives. Eight to be specific. He says that a man of his virility and stature requires that many nubile maidens. The clergy told him to get his pecker under control or they'd excommunicate his ass and let the nobility tear him apart. Don't ask me how you can stand eight wives, I can't handle one. Anyways, they've disappeared in groups when they've gone out together. Now he's only got one left. John leaned his elbows on his knees. The anarcho-syndicalists believed in rule by labor union. Religion wasn't part of their program. The anarcho-syndicalists, we learned about them in ideologies under Professor Velt. I'm wondering how they fit into Thanafane. Lots of ancestor worship, hero cults, prophets buried there. That's a strange place for anarcho-syndicalists. Well, lots of normal people get buried there, but look, Thanafane's a city, right? They have the same shit as any city. Sewers, construction, river traffic, you see what I'm saying? A lot of labor involved. And the anarcho-syndicalists are all over the place. They might look at a city and say, why are they here and not somewhere else? Why are they somewhere else and not here? Well, Thanafane, why not Diadem? Why not Periapt? Why aren't all union syndicalists? There's a lot of variety in how the workers relate to their cities. Sometimes, syndicalism springs up from the grassroots, usually if it's a bad monarchy or the city's under some kind of foreign rule. Places like Thanafane, Periapt, there might be a grassroots movement, but other places like Diadem, it's less likely. Diadem has guilds, very traditional, so there's less of a natural space for unions to come in and act as a counterweight against the corporations, the government, or whatever. Places like that, you might see spooks from the City of Leagues come in. The City of Leagues, the anarcho-syndicalist city-state. Well, they're not the only one, but they're the flag bearers, all right. Yeah, so when the City of Leagues thinks there's a need for a little extra push, they'll send someone, or even a whole team, to organize the unions along anarcho-syndicalist lines. Sometimes they'll arm them, train them. The point is a revolution. The point of me telling you this is that you could find anarcho-syndicalists anywhere. And if it seems like it's not fertile ground, but they're still there, then watch your ass. City of League's cadre are no joke. The professionals. Their philosophy is very sexy to a lot of people. And our philosophy is not sexy to idealists. Except for the part where we actually solve people's problems, but we're getting paid for that, so it's easy to overlook. So anyways... The anarcho-syndicalists in Thanafane might be handled by the City of Leagues. That is interesting, Inspector. 
But you're still thinking about airplanes, aren't you? I have to admit that I am still thinking about Diadem Inspector. Alright, whatever. I'm going to give you a few pointers, then we'll rubber stamp it. Starling and Shrek has great relations with Diadem. Big ally. Your pay for this op is going to come from Starling and Shrek itself, because this falls under our defense contract with them. What that means is that you don't need to make a big show of selling yourself. They won't care that you're fresh out of the schoolhouse. All our guys are hot shit as far as they're concerned. Just tell the Lord Mayor you're there, try to find out what he wants, what your limits are, and get to work finding out if someone's about to turn the summit into a giant flaming clusterfuck. You're good to pack your 45, but don't ask me to sign you out any grenades or submachine guns or any shit like that. I get asked that sometimes. He waved at John's elegant traditional clothing. Now you can go out there in your black and whites, but I suggest you don't, because you don't need to impress anybody. Walking around like this is just going to let everyone know there's a fox in the hen house. Save the look for when you're on the market for a contract. Roger that, Inspector. I'll go in plain clothes. If I do find out that someone's plotting against the summit, do you suggest I bring them in right away, or take the time to summon the gendarmes first? Like everything, it depends. Check with the Lord Mayor and the gendarmes once you get there. See what their expectations are. As an inspector, I'm inclined to say, if you catch a guy in on some tomfoolery, you grease his ass when he makes one false move. You wouldn't believe how fast a guy can get the drop on you, even with all your training. And Diadem's not like Ascension, where if you fart in public, they're going to hate you forever. They want you to do your job. That's not the case everywhere, so good question. That being said, if the summit goes off without a hitch, there's a nice bonus in it for you. There's also a kill-capture bounty for notional plotters. They'll pay you more if you take a guy alive, but don't go chasing bottom line if he's ready for you. Knock him off as safely as you can and take in the next guy. Current lean back. Speaking of which, let's talk about the terms. He fixed his gaze on the contract through his spectacles. 25 ounces of triple nine gold for hunter-gatherer security services. Until the conclusion of the International Aviation Summit in the city-state of Diadem. Ten ounces more if there aren't any injuries to the public as a result of conspiracy. Five ounces per receipt of live plotters, two and a half per valid stiff. He looked up. That's a few chicken dinners for you. In my day, you were lucky to get half that on your first gig. I acknowledge, Inspector. Current sat back in silence for a few moments. He seemed to be having an internal debate. So... Since you're going to diadem, I might as well bring up something that I would have left be otherwise. See, I deal with a lot of the new guys coming out of the gate. I keep up with some of them. Others just kind of disappear out of the wild blue yonder. But I do keep tabs when I think I need to. You know, see how they're doing. Throw on the straight and narrow. A lot of temptation after 14 years in the schoolhouse. So you're about to find out. There was this kid who came through about six months ago. His name was Daniel Stanton. Weird kid. A lot of concerning behaviors in his profile. Homicidal ideation. Weird outbursts on other kids. Obsessed with weapons. Generally said a lot of fucked up shit. Got disciplined a lot. Now I wasn't surprised when I met him. You could smell the hate coming off this kid a mile away. Talked to me like he thought I was some kind of disgusting insect. Apparently he talked to everyone like that. Well, he bailed on his first operation and he left us holding the bag. We weren't able to find him afterwards. He hasn't been back here since. He hasn't taken any contracts either, at least not that I'm aware of. Well, last week he popped up in Diadem. Our contracting officer over there, Gerald Basinger, recognized him. Basinger had taught a civics class three or four years ago, and Dan came across the transom. 
Apparently the kid was calling himself Judas Pinkerton. That's pretty suspicious, said John. That's very suspicious. Listen, if you see Dan Stanton in Diadem, and you gotta knock him off, no harm, no foul, just come to me afterwards. It'll stay between us. And in the event that it doesn't, I'll have your back. And so will every other council inspector. Or if you catch him with his hand in some greasy shit, just lock him up. Draw me a telegram and I'll come take him away. That'll be that. Uh, I understand, Inspector. Would there be some kind of problem if we just found that he was involved in crime and brought him back here for something like a trial? Yeah. I've dealt with fuckers who were wrong the way that kid was wrong before. They're very slippery. And if you bring something against him, well, it doesn't always stick. Then they go back to their old ways, doing who knows what, and they know that you're onto them. Nobody can disappear like one of us, even if it's some cherry right out of the schoolhouse. You can't know what they'll do when they get free. And sometimes it's bad. So you take your chance when you get it. And that's not all. There's a deeper reason. Rogue agents, corrupt starlings, turncoats, they bring shame, public dishonor onto the city-state. Well, why is that a problem? It makes people cynical about this whole thing. It makes our people cynical. That has the potential to bring down this whole enterprise in the long term. And our way of life isn't maintained by momentum and habit. So we have to handle our own. I understand, Inspector. All right. You're going to do good, kid. Keep your head on a swivel. You'll find you're up to the task. You're a bloodhound after 14 years of training. Believe me. Thank you, Inspector. All right. Well, initial here, there, then sign at the X. John signed. Inspector Current stood, shook John's hand, and left to arrange the flight. John sat, gazing through the window into the snow. He had a furrowed brow, 